Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there, and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm Mike, and joining me on today's episode are Anne-Marie and Emmett from the My Wall Street Analyst team. Today we're talking about what's going on with growth stocks right now, the future of social media, the Santa Claus rally, and two Christmas stocking fillers. Since there's a bit of Christmas theme to this show, Amory and Emmett, I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you what's the best Christmas present you've ever gotten. When I was in like the third or fourth grade, I got a pair of Heelys. And they were very much like the coolest toy going in that year. That was pretty special. Yeah, I remember Heelys. Yeah. Emmett, you probably uh, never fit in a pair of Heelys, did you? Uh, you'd be surprised. Well, I think when I think um, the equation is a function of belief in Santa and the impact of the present. So I'm going to say I was at peak Santa between the ages of probably four and eight. And the toy that I recall most knocking my socks off was, uh, was probably a yellow pedal car, 1970 style, glittery flames from the wheel arch, a horn, you know, the whole nine yards. So I think that was my favorite Christmas present. And just for a disclaimer here, Santa is in fact real in case we have any younger... (laughs) Younger listeners, uh, all right, moving on then. So November was not a kind month to growth stocks with investors turning their backs on some of the year's best performers. Two names in particular took a beating last week after reporting earnings. Amory, a 42% dip in one day for DocuSign. What, what happened here? Basically, it was just a change in growth, really, in terms of year-over-year billings, which I guess we all knew was coming down the line for basically the last seven or eight quarters. Their billings growth year-over-year have been between 40 and 60%, which is just crazy. Um, That's why the stock has been rewarded so richly. But this quarter, it was only 28% growth year-over-year, and uh, I think it kind of stunned investors. It seemed to kind of be the exception stock among all the other pandemic stocks. It seemed to get like another quarter or two quarters out of kind of the momentum from lockdown and from businesses having to go remote. Yeah. And it just got punished just as bad as some of the other uh, players that we've seen kind of go into hyper growth because of changes in our behavior and the way that we that we work. Yeah. So you're kind of saying there's a bit of an inevitability to this that DocuSign was almost on borrowed time compared to, say, Zoom and Peloton, whose retraction came about a lot earlier. Yeah. And then I also just think like there's an overall kind of environment of uncertainty. I think we're seeing that across the board. Investors are getting a little bit nervous. So I think the second there was kind of a change in wins, the second it seemed like the growth was drying up, I think that freaked people out. But then like the larger market context was very unfair. And then people are probably also comparing it to Zoom and Peloton and saying, oh, Zoom is after dropping 50%. Peloton is after dropping 50%. Surely DocuSign should drop 50%. And that probably just compounded uh, the pain that we saw in that one day drop. Yeah. Yeah, timing for bad news really uh, really didn't help DocuSign. I saw as well Dan Springer, the CEO, just bought 5 million shares and kind of, a, I guess, a retort to uh, to the drop. So it's always a good sign. Amit, you were looking at Asana for the past few months. The company, it's been on your watches for a while. It created last week on the back of earnings as well. Were expectations just too high after the run-up or was there something more substantial at play? 
Mike, I'm going to start by saying that this has been a year like no other. And I'll quickly add that every year is a year like no other. Like for a start, in the last half year, just four stocks, just four companies generated almost 70% of the S&P 500's return. And now I haven't dived into this absurd data point, but I'm pretty certain nothing like this has ever happened before. And those four companies for our listeners' benefit are Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA and Google, which is a stat that I'd like to thank my colleague uh, Jamie Adams uh, for who delivers a fresh fastball email five days a week. Subscribe now. Okay, <laughs> so then if you look at the IPO market and something you, you pointed me at yesterday, Mike, was of the 50 or so US tech companies to go public this year through IPO or a SPAC or a direct listing, one that's like kind of one a week. Only one of them is down less than 20% from its high that's unbelievable as well. And that, that company, by the way, for our, our listeners' interest, is Global Foundries, which I'll wager most of our listeners have never heard of unless they're into multinational semiconductor contract manufacturing design companies incorporated in the Cayman Islands. Uh, actually, I'm in a Facebook group for that. <laughs> I bet you we have somebody into Cayman Islands semiconductor makers because, <laughs> because <clears throat> I received word this week that Stock Club is now the most listened to investing podcast in Ireland and in the top three in most other countries. Anyway, of the 50 tech companies, I mentioned more than 20 have lost at least half of their value from their high. And that's kind of crazy. And that's why I always advocate waiting for businesses to be live in the market for about a half a year before investing or two quarterly uh, reporting cycles. In fact, as of December 6, which is three days ago as we record, the biggest loser from the high high point from uh, tech IPOs this year was Robinhood. Uh, Robinhood were down about 75% from their high. UiPath are down 50%. Toast got toasted. It's down 50%. Coinbase is down 40%. So like it has been a tough year. Anyway, on to Asana. So on December 2nd, Asana announced a record third quarter for fiscal 22. They, they run it kind of your head. Revenues were surpassed $100 million in the quarter, which is up 70% year over year. Revenues from customers spending five grand or more on an annual basis grew nearly 100% year on year. And they exceeded 2 million paid seats, as they call it. And management said to expect at least 53% year over-year increase in the fourth quarter of fiscal 22, which is usually their quietest quarter, to revenue of about 105 million. So what happens when you basically tell the world that you've built a hyper-growth company in full-flight mode, it gets sold off like toxic waste. In fact, since mid-November, it's halved, albeit from some very high highs. (laughs) Uh, And what's especially interesting about Asana is that its co-founder, Dustin Moscovich was one of the five original co-founders of Facebook alongside Zuckerberg, Eduardo Severin, Andrew McCollum and Chris Hughes. And he left it in 2008 to co-found Asana with Justin Rosenstein. And Moscovich has been buying shares like perhaps nothing I have ever seen before. And uh, with the insider bot, 
which is available, freely available on Twitter at the Insider Bot. Sorry, Emma, could you just uh, elaborate on exactly what Insider Bot is? Well, the Insider Bot is a bot that you and I and our colleague in the mountains of Spain in Ronda, Alejandro, built based on about I think it was nine or ten filters, and and those filters basically find when an insider, a specific insider, buys to a level that has been recorded as having a higher probability of beating the market from that point forward. And it's based on the writings of a book called Insider Intelligence and refined a little bit more with her own data. So the at the insider bot tweets when we see a buy that satisfies all the criteria we've designed. So anyway, he's been buying. The insider, the founder, Moscovich of Asana, has been buying like probably nothing I've seen in my life. And uh, he has done, he's made 12 insider, he's made 12 buys totaling $374 million since the 6th of September. Oh, no, 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 sorry, since middle of June. So at one stage... He had about a half a billion dollars in. And this guy is really, really buying into the curve. And he's putting his money where his mouth is. But in fairness, he does have a net worth of around $22 billion. So it's not like he's staking his pension on this. And I know if I had $22.2 billion, I'd invest a billion in my Wall Street and I wouldn't lose any sleep at all. Anyway, the key point is this. And of everything I've said, Stock Club is the number one podcast in Ireland. (laughs) And in the top three, more or less everywhere. And that's all I have to say on the matter. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. You you mentioned a very interesting point there. And I think it's something a lot of our listeners will be feeling right now is this kind of pain in their portfolios where so many of the big names, the growth stocks that we all know and love have sold off significantly past month, past two months, maybe. But this is all at a time when the major indexes are only a few percent off all-time highs. So have you experienced like this kind of divergence before, Emmett? I have. It's not common. And I wouldn't be able to put a pin in the calendar and tell you, tell you exactly when. But it's certainly the most pronounced effect that I've seen where, as I mentioned, just four stocks have driven the S&P 570% of its returns. So that's really very, very unusual. So it's not typical. And that means that when you look at the S&P 500 index, you, you can be led to believe that you have made poor decisions or your companies are poor quality or that you have a folio not set up for success because the, the S&P S&P 500 is heading north and your basket of high growth stocks are heading south and you're like, damn, I really got this wrong. But it is an effect of the market we're in. Things were normalized. I don't believe this will continue for a whole lot longer because generally you build a folio and its simplest terms, it's either going to have a beta greater or less than one, which means if the market moves in a direction, you'll multiply that direction by more or less than one in your own folio. And at the moment, it seems like it's minus beta, if you know what I mean, or minus one over beta. Hold on a second. Yeah. No, I'm going too deep down. Simple math rabbit hole. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Moving on then, there's been two big news stories from the world of social media this week. The first, Facebook is or- has been ordered to relinquish its ownership in the gift sharing platform Giphy by UK regulators, a company Ooh. which it acquired in 2020. Uh, regulators cited anti-competitive behavior in the UK ad market, as well as they weren't happy with the amount of traffic sent from Giphy to Facebook-owned apps. Anne-Marie, even looking into all things social media recently, considering the scale of Facebook, surely this shouldn't affect them too much, right? Or should I, sorry, should I be saying meta there? 
Meta and Jiffy. I could have mispronounced the mispronounced that whole paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think keep going. The Jif the <laughs> thing is still up for debate, even though the guy who invented it was like, no, it's it's Jif, but like it's yeah. not. It's Gif. Jiffy makes more sense now that I say it out loud. No, because Jiffy, Jiffy sounds like Jiffy the peanut yeah, butter it, company in the United States. Oh, oh no, like oh, in a Jiffy. Grew, oh, hold on, when I when I was growing up, Jif was a cleaning fluid. Oh, yeah, and then it turned to Sif. Lads, we're getting yeah. way sidetracked. All right. Um, <laughs> will it have an impact on Facebook, a.k.a. Meta, which is just, oh, I'm not going to call them that. It's terrible. We, get, we anyway. can call them Facebook for this podcast. How does that okay. sound? So basically, is it an impact for them? Kind of, because this was a play that Facebook was trying to make into kind of the new form of social media. And I'm kind of planning to write this kind of long form piece for our kind of end of the year review. So that will be in app, which is going to talk about there's kind of a cultural shift happening right now in social media. And we're seeing a divergence in kind of how people are using it, particularly young people. And this is something that Sarah Wilson actually talked about in the Harvard Business Review. And she's dubbing this behavior anti-social media behavior, in which basically we're beginning to see young people establish two separate spaces on social media. And one is very, very private. And it's just with people that they know and very close with. So things like group chats, like your WhatsApp group chat, your Facebook Messenger group chats, even like group chats you have on iMessage through your Apple iPhone, stuff like that. And then the way that they're publicly interacting on social media is very different in that they're no longer interested in kind of curating this very refined public persona and then like updating every element of their life onto these social media platforms, which is pretty significantly in defiance of everything that Facebook's traditional platform is built upon in that like Facebook was exciting and fun in the early 2000s because it was very novel that you could be friends with absolutely everyone you'd ever interacted with and have 800 people be friends with you on Facebook and then you could share every mundane thought and thing that you did and it was somewhat interesting because it had never been done before. I think we're losing that appeal. And so really that is of concern to Facebook because it is obviously very hard to monetize very small, intimate spaces like group chats. Like how can you make money from that? How can you place advertising there? And actually one of the ways that Giphy or Jiffy has been successful is they're placing advertisement in GIFs. And then people love to send GIFs in group chats. So this effectively was a foot in the door for Facebook to begin monetizing this small, intimate space that they have pretty much been shut out of. And not only would it monetize on Facebook's own assets like Messenger and um, WhatsApp, but it was going to effectively allow them to monetize anywhere that you would send a GIF using Giphy. So that includes Tinder and Slack and iMessage and Twitter and TikTok. So now, in theory, Facebook could begin to access data from virtually every social media platform that exists and and where someone could send a GIF. And so I think that was kind of what set off alarm bells for regulators in Britain. And yeah, I think it's it'll be now difficult to see how Facebook is going to figure out how they're going to monetize these small spaces that they've been pushed out of. That's really interesting because in the age-old question, how is Facebook going to monetize WhatsApp? And it seems like this could have been a play too, but now that it's been stopped. What's stopping then Facebook just creating its own GIF repository? I, I, I don't want to question all of Giphy's yeah. business, but like, is it, it's well within their capabilities, surely. Definitely. And I actually don't think like GIFs are subjected to copyright. So like, I think they could on in theory, like assemble millions of GIFs and create some sort of thing to hold them on. I actually think in Messenger, the like default GIF keyboard is owned by Facebook. Like it's not uh, Giphy. You have to install that on Messenger if you want it. I think it's the bigger concern is that like people already are loyal to 
Giphy. And the other keyboard that you sometimes see people use is Tenor, which is actually owned by Google and was created by Google. And so, like, how many GIF keyboards do we need to have in existence? Like, surely having more than one is already enough. And so I think Facebook's concern is probably, like, if they were to create their own GIF keyboard, it would probably be too difficult to try and siphon off market share. Plus, I think people have become pretty suspicious of Facebook. And I think if there was an alternative that wasn't Facebook-owned, I think some people would prefer to use it. Oh, absolutely. Especially when you talked about tracking across different apps away from Facebook as well, you know? Yeah. Emmett, do you think this kind of regulatory headache will make the rest of big tech reconsider any potential acquisitions? Like, I doubt Facebook really expect much pushback over this one, you know? Mm, I was reading a few weeks back that uh, the EU voted in favor of this thing called the Digital Markets Act which sits beside the Digital Services Act, I think. And the whole idea was that it reigns in the monopolistic position that these digital giants have. And I think they defined as major companies, our digital giants, as they have 8 billion in annual turnover in the EU and a market cap above 80 billion. So they really kind of put a circle around these, these giant digital giants. And even this morning, a Wall Street Journal reported that Italy's antitrust regulators fined Amazon $1.3 billion for harming competitors by favoring third-party sellers that use the Amazon logistics and services department. So, you know, I, I'm personally quite split about where whether what my personal opinion is. But to your question, do I think that it's going to rein in, you know, the, the, the giants from trying to make acquisitions? Absolutely not. No way. Of course not. You know, when you think about the resources at these giants disposal, if they look at a business that makes widgets and they want widgets, they're going to go for it and they will cross whatever bridge they get to when they get to it. Mm. Especially considering acquisitions made them so strong. If you think about Google buying YouTube, Facebook buying Instagram, all these were small mm. enough acquisitions at the yeah. time that grew to be absolute behemoths. Yeah. The second story from the world of social media is that Pinterest will be bolstering its video capabilities with the acquisition of video editing and design specialist Voshi. Voshi. This, is, this has not been a good part for pronunciation. <laughs> It'll add voiceovers, transitions, music, and other visual effects to support idea pins. Moreover, its try-on feature allows browsers to test beauty and fashion products. Amory, how will uh, Pinterest's new acquisition play out? Will Pinterest start to look a bit more like TikTok, or what's the end goal here? I think it'll be interesting to see if this new medium is going to take off. That's always a risk when social media companies begin to kind of push into new types of mediums that they're not particularly known for. We saw that earlier this year when Instagram announced that it was basically going to redo its entire algorithm to begin prioritizing video over photo. And we all know that is because video is much easier to monetize and it holds people's attention for much longer, which means you can add additional advertisements into it. It's basically just an easier way to make money. And I don't think that transition went over particularly well on Instagram. I think for at least my usage, it dropped because it was so annoying to try and use Instagram Reels that I was like, I'm, I'm just not going to use this app. I'm going to go use TikTok, which does this a million times better. But the key difference between Instagram and Pinterest is the mood that people are in when they use that app and kind of what they're using it for. I think users of of Instagram have been traditionally primed to view it as a platform in which they can view photos of people that they know or view photos from like organizations or media outlets that they like and they want to, you know, be informed that way by basically pushing content from people that they don't subscribe or follow. You are essentially making advertising an obstacle to the end goal of your social media platform and people get really annoyed by that. Whereas people use Pinterest because they are in a mood to discover and find things. It's often Pinterest, the reason Pinterest is like 
such an incredible advertising platform is because people often go on there to like look at furniture or look at paint colors or look at wallpapers and that type of thing. And so if you can do advertising well in that medium, you can effectively monetize those users much easier. So I think if this video is done well and we are beginning to see advertising and direct marketing appear on TikTok to, to a significant degree of success because brands who have kind of embraced the hilarity and authenticity of TikTok essentially are marketing to people who don't even realize it. I think if Pinterest can kind of do the same thing and basically maintain this kind of open, free discovery type mindset and reflect that in video and advertising and monetization in this way, I think it could work. I think it could be another way to kind of bolster their advertising revenue, which has done so well in the kind of last six or seven quarters. Good stuff. Okay, moving on then. Uh, What's going on in my Wall Street at the minute? We've just added a brand new stock of the month pick on Monday and the exclusive stock of the month podcast will follow next week. This one is a company most of us will know quite intimately for better or worse. You can check out all of this plus our shortlist of market beating stocks by simply following the link in the notes for today's show. Right, lads, for this week's mailbag, we're going to take a question that came in about a stock market phenomenon that usually occurs around this time of year. Emmett, what exactly is the Santa Claus rally? According to the 2016 edition of Stock Traders Almanac, since 1969, (laughs) right, since 1969, the Santa Claus rally has yielded positive returns in 34 of the past 45 holiday seasons, which is defined as the last five trading days of the year and the first two trading days after New Year's. And the average cumulative return in that period is 1.4%. And the returns are positive in each of the seven days of the rally on average. So the Santa Claus rally refers to the tendency for the stock market to rally over the last week or so of December and into the new year. And there's a whole load of theories about why it happens, you know, people getting excited and feeling optimistic and getting ready for the new year, holiday spirit, New Year's resolutions, you name it. But regardless of the reason, three in four Decembers, dating back to 1960, or three or four end of Decembers, dating back to the 1960s, has resulted in positive gains for shareholders. So to the question, can we expect it? Not entirely, but it's something like 75% probable. So if you're going to place a bet, then it's rational to go with a yes. Very good. 75% of the time, it works every time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, we'll finish out with the elevator pitch this week, lads. So we had a bit of a Christmas theme, so we're going to continue on with that. Uh, Amory, I want you to pitch me a Christmas theme stock you're looking at. Okay. Oh, looking at is a strong word. Well, but Christmas theme stock that I told you to look at for this podcast. Perfect. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the stock that I'm going to pitch is Elf Beauty, whose ticker <laughs> okay. symbol is Elf, which is perfect. Not much to say about Elf Beauty. Elf, Elf Beauty is their stock's been pretty much flat for the last five years, so I don't know. Is it a great investment? However, I think Elf is quite famous for kind of populating the shelves of TJ Maxx's or TK Maxx's, as we have here in Ireland, and basically being like everyone's default first beauty product brand because they're like very inexpensive. And so I think if you have children who are into makeup and they're young, you will probably be getting them an Elf product for Christmas. So my Christmas stock is elf very good i think anyone irish listening will know all about the uh, Lynx box sets so maybe elf could fall into that bracket emmet your uh, christmas team pitch 
Yeah. I, okay. So I'm going to pitch it, but it doesn't mean I'm going to buy it. Yeah. It's we're just, not, we're not holding a, you to this door. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a weird pitch, but okay. So what, what have all the following characters got in common? Grinch, Harry Potter, How to Train Your da- Dragon, Minions, Paw Patrol, Frozen, Lion King, Stitch, Ursula. I don't even know who Ursula is. Universal Monsters, We Were Cute. What have they all got in common? Hold on. How do you not know who <laughs> Ursula is? Who's She's the Ursula? villain in The Little Mermaid. <laughs> I still don't know her. Uh, uh, but I know all the other ones. No, they're owned by Disney. Is your stock nearly? No, Lord of, no, no, Lord of the Rings is not owned by Disney. They are all inside the Build a Bear uh, workshop. Uh, we can go and build a bear. So I'm going to pitch <laughs> Build a Bear. Uh, so Build a Bear, for anyone who knows it, uh, and I know it from a real life experience where I went to my son when he was young and we got a Hulk teddy bear. It's a nice experience. You go in, you pick a bear with a team, they stuff it, they put a heart in it, I don't know, and then they stitch it up and you've designed your own bear. It has around 3,500 employees, 352 corporate managed stores, and they've been moving across to a digital transformation strategy, which I think has been very effective for the business. And when I look at its key statistics online, its market cap is around $320 million. It has more debt than cash, meaning its enterprise value is higher than its market cap. Great insider ownership. It's got nearly 12% insider ownership, outstanding return on equity, about 45% return on equity. And even though I wouldn't run out and buy it, I'm certainly very interested in it. And I think this kind of move to digital has been effective for them. The shares have been rewarded about a year ago. Share price is about four bucks and change today. It's about $20 and change. And I still think it has some room to run. But it is a Christmassy stock. <laughs> Quote unquote Christmassy stock. I actually have a Build a Bear workshop fun fact that I learned oh. a few days ago. That Tell apparently, me. if you take your child there for their birthday, you get to pay their age for the bear. I think really? you're uh, stitching us up there, Amory. No, I'm one. Like I saw this on TikTok, which means it's true. <laughs> So if yes. you, an 85-year-old wants to bring their 52-year-old kid to build a bear as a treat, it's just not going to make any it's sense. It's not a good deal. It's not efficient. No. <laughs> it could be like you're getting them in young or something. You're planting those <laughs> early seeds. Yeah. yeah. I just okay. don't think customer lifetime value is, is, is a whole lot of <laughs> <to> you. <laughs> Didn't expect five minutes on Build-A-Bear to end this show. <laughs> Okay, uh, that's it for today's show, Les. Thank you for listening. Uh, remember, if you have any questions you'd like answered or elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter, that's at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok, that's at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends about us and don't forget to leave a review for us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Thanks for joining us today and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>